everybody. Welcome to Sapphic Culture Club, where we explore lesbian themes in film, TV, books, music, and anywhere else Sapphic's roam. We are your hosts. I'm Laurel Hutchinova. And I am Audrey Nee. Today, we are welcoming Laura, our resident historian, back on the show to talk about the surprisingly popular topic <laughs> of nuns and convents. Although, I don't know if it's it that surprising. surprising. I don't yeah. think it's surprising. I don't know, maybe. No, everyone loves nuns. <laughs> Does everyone love nuns? <laughs> no, no, no. Everyone's no. interested in nuns. I don't know. Um, anyway, welcome back, Laura. Yay. Hello. It's nice to be back, everybody. Oh, great. <laughs> the amount of questions from that original Q&A, so many were related to what what is convent life like mm-hmm. we decided that it should just be like a completely separate episode if not a little series itself so yeah um, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've got plenty plenty of things to discuss and talk about <laughs> i wonder if part of the fascination is because we were all sort of cloistered away because of the pandemic we all felt a little bit secluded and what was it like for eloise to be put us in a mindset do you think we should rebrand as Sapphic Nun Club? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Or, oh, okay. oh Sapphic, Sapphic Convent Club, because oh, then Sapphic we don't Convent even have Club. to like change the oh, logo. Oh, great. Perfect. That'd okay, great. great. Okay. Yeah. The picture can stay the same as well, actually, can't it? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, you're right. Oh, my God. Great point. Yeah, so easy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Sapphic Convent Club. <laughs> lesbian themes and nunneries and no. Convent Club. <laughs> we could also be Sapphic Culture Convent. Oh, interesting. Sapphic Convent Culture mm-hmm. Club. Sapphic. So mm. many options. <laughs> yeah, it just lends itself so well. It's interesting it. out of all those those things, like Sappho herself is not related mm-hmm. to a convent. Yeah, it's though. true. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, historical. Or even that Sapphic necessarily, as we discussed before. It's true, right? <laughs> you, you still went for the uh, name, but I, I know. Yeah, we did. I know. <laughs> it's been appropriated. It's been claimed, yeah. Yeah, it's, no, it's I, ours. I completely Too bad. <laughs> Sorry, Sappho. Or not sorry. Whatever. It's fine. All right. All right. So as Laura just mentioned, we got a bunch of listener questions for her last season, and quite a few of them were nun and convent related. So we decided to save those and just like the general topic of nuns for their own special episode or episodes. And as you might have guessed, that is what we are kicking off today. And yeah, I guess the aim today uh, is to try and get a kind of picture of what convent life was like, as that seemed to be um, kind of what, quite one of the major questions and like why or the, the ways in which it worked the way it did and actually still does today because there are still lots of convents still in existence today. So, mm, yeah. yeah. So we've got we've got two questions that kind of point to this. Why would a woman go to a convent? Um, one of them comes from Mary, who said, convent life chosen by women, question mark, or a place your family sent you if they had no dowry. And then also from Naya, I did some research and found that it was very common to send women's while they reached marrying age, which is 26 for women, apparently, during the 18th century. So, Laura, why would a woman go to a convent? Well, some of the, the reasons that have just been given there are definitely the correct ones. I mean, there are obviously some women for whom they did, you know, perhaps have spiritual aspirations or a spiritual calling. They called it a vocation and may have wanted to have gone to a convent for that reason, you know, to like to fulfill that spiritual duty. But when you actually start to look more closely at the evidence and the the textual information, it becomes quite clear that a lot of women were placed into convents due to pressure from often the fathers or just the family in general, because the spiritual dowry was much less than the marriage dowry. So if you had multiple children, you probably wouldn't necessarily be able to afford, you know, sending all of them to to be married and the women had to go somewhere because as women they weren't kind of allowed to be unmarried and having kind of their own existence right so either they were married or they went to a convent really are kind of the only options for them in in in, in many ways can i pause you for a second yeah, yeah you mentioned spiritual dowry i feel like that's mm-hmm. the first i've heard of that mm-hmm. what does that mean just another term for dowry itself. So just the, the amount of money that was given to the convent to place the woman there was less than the marriage dowry. I did not realize they would give a dowry to a convent. It's like private school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes yeah. sense. Totally. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. And it comes with a kind of secondary layer 
also for the family themselves in that they kind of almost sacrifice one of the daughters for that economic convenience because they also on top of that economic convenience get spiritual salvation from doing so because the daughter would be praying for supposedly the family you know to be prosperous and 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 healthy and wealthy and whatever for the rest of their lives i'm gonna step out of the nunnery for a second was there a similar setup for men who entered the monastery? Like, kind of, but obviously, like <laughs> men don't yeah. have like dowries and right. same right, way, right? Yeah, and also men had the choice about what whether they went or not. I guess you know, like they had they had more options available to them, and they had agency because the father of the family would have still, or you know, like male members of the family would have still been in control of the money and the decision making within the family, and so as a man i guess they they don't lack agency in the same way that the women do so for monks it was more like just of your own volition you would decide to become a monk well yeah i mean also like there there are other th- reasons why women as well as men might want to go into a, a convent or a monastery for example and um, the fact that they get education mm-hmm. and that they learn to read which for poorer families is obviously something that was a positive step like a social mobility is kind of the wrong word but you know what i mean like right. as in the, the, their life would be at least free from the concerns of not uh, having enough food to eat as well, for example. You know, they, they would always get fed and they would get an education and they might be able to play a bit of music and be somehow involved in the community in some way, monks more so than nuns. And for women as well, it was a place where they would be, yeah, like kind of secure, also safe from rape if they were unmarried. And for people of lower classes, well, not just lower classes, but things like domestic violence as well. And people who were uh, women who were who had been forced into prostitution as well would sometimes become nuns. Because obviously the story of Mary Magdalene being a ex-prostitute who then gets saved, you know, like it was kind of like quite a common theme that they would want to try and get women out of that position or women who'd been abandoned, women who had kind of been promised a marriage or something and the man had, had mm. run away, for example. But there's still a dowry involved in that and in, in those situations you're talking about? Because you still have to like mm. buy your way into the convent? Yes, I would presume so, yes. Maybe um, there's like but, grants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like the 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 money from the more wealthy families. I mean, this is what's also quite interesting is that it's often the wealthy families where you get more of these young girls being pushed into the convent as well, which I think probably when we think about this, we don't necessarily, you know, we can't, I don't know, I feel like convents have been not much studied or not much kind of looked at as a really integral part of how society worked, like in the medieval and early modern period. Because it's where a lot, lots of women were going there, you know, like they, they were waiting lists to go yeah. into the convent. Yeah. So like in Madrid in 1674, there was a waiting list of 160 women wow. to oh get in. Like it was wow. like a really like thing that people wanted to try and get their daughters into. Yeah, yeah. Convents. Another type of woman that might go into a convent as well as a widow. So if her husband oh, had died, yeah. then a, a widow would go there or also an oh. annulment or a divorce kind of thing, even though divorce was divorce was not allowed, but annulment was, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But it was just like sanctioned by the Pope and annulment. Yeah, so if they wanted to avoid a second marriage, they would go to a convent because otherwise the woman would get married off again, right? right. Like the husband had died or, or had, uh, had disappeared for another reason. There's also quite interesting stories in terms of colonialism. So when, you know, like European countries start creating their empires in what the 16th century, that you get forced conversions or more convents and more monasteries being set up to get the indigenous people to become part of those convents and monasteries, also to cut them off from their original families and kind of, you know, yeah, like westernize and control them. And actually quite a lot of wealthy indigenous elites would send their children to those places because it was also a status symbol or thing for them because they would interact with the elite daughters of other like European groups. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've always heard the subjugation, you know, Mm -hmm. side of that, but I hadn't thought that that would, yeah. It also happens in in Europe as well. So like in Spain, for example, you know, like during the Spanish Inquisition and stuff, they're trying to convert Jews or Muslims who had nominally converted to to Catholicism, actually then put their children into into convents as a as a show to the elites that they had, you know, kind of officially converted and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's another kind of like area of this kind of the situation of convents that I don't think we usually like think about really. Yeah. Um, that kind of 
colonial aspect. But it's, it's pretty bad when you think about the fact that like so many women would probably, I mean, many might have wanted to go. So like we see in Portrait, don't we, you know, that Eloise wanted to stay there. Like it was a way for her to not get married to some unknown person that may have been, you know, decades older than her. Before we, before we move on, I wanted to double check something, but I just looked it up. And we've actually, I don't know if this news has crossed the Atlantic, but recently in like Canada, and I think we're starting to look at it in the United States, the schools that, like these religious schools. So I feel like these are sort of the the modern sort of inheritors of that mm-hmm. kind of like monastic convent culture. But we've we've recently had news about how many children were forced to go to these schools and then were horrifically abused and we found like mass graves and stuff. So when we talk about things like colonial subjugation of indigenous peoples, it's a very real and pretty recent thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, even in Ireland, for example, they had things called the Magdalen laundries where women who were considered, you know, kind of like fallen women who'd had children out of wedlock, for example, or just even considered too pretty in the village were, would be sent there and wow. they they were, were in existence until 1996 oh my no 1996 yeah 1996 oh and the, the first God. one opened in 1765 and the last one was finally officially closed in 1996 oh my this God. Was in ireland yeah in ireland and they yeah too beating pretty, too pretty. you're and, too pretty so yeah it's pretty pretty bad and, and women also would sometimes even disfigure themselves in order oh to go God. to the country so we have stories, for example, oh Katerina Benacasa in Siena poured boiling water on herself to disfigure herself and so that she wouldn't get married to anyone so that then she would have to go to the convent rather than getting married. And the story of Christina of Markgate, this is in England, is awful as well in that she wanted to go to the convent either to escape marriage or because she had a you know spiritual calling. It's not made quite clear. But her family tried to get a man to rape her so that she wouldn't be chased anymore and therefore wouldn't be allowed to go to the convent because you could only go there as virgin etc so like it's, even if you were yeah. widowed widowed not but that's there because you were married and you were married right had a marriage and oh know. got it okay yeah so but people who young, had been then... raped were not accepted to be brides of christ like jesus was like no thanks you're well they're tainted yeah this is so problematic i'm so yeah do we have a sense of like how young because you mentioned children a couple times were were going to the convent like how what was like the youngest you might send your daughter Mm, i'm not sure what the exact youngest age would be but like in their teenage years in general like i mean people were getting married and and then right 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 yeah exactly (laughs) potential okay but but like you know like elite kind of private schools or whatever they're, they're these waiting lists you would literally like you know if you had given birth to a baby daughter you would put their name on the waiting list so that hoping that they would oh, move up wow. by the time that yeah. they were Jeez. you know old enough to to be sent there so essentially the fate of so many women was just decided even you know yeah kind of <sighs> i guess wow. in, in many ways and could they do much about it Ultimately, I guess it's still at the whim of their families to decide whether whether they pursue that or not. So, yeah. yeah. Illegitimate children as well is another group. Oh, yeah. So that makes they sense. They would be sent there if they were girls. Of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, according to Eloise, it is a life that has advantages. <laughs> like... Yep. We will see right. what advantages they basically are, but yes. I mean, compared to some of the other it's, outcomes, yeah, it's, it's yeah. like maybe not so bad, depending, obviously. But yeah. But I think this is what, the, again, it's just something that this film that I would, you know, would never have thought that I, I like, we all know all the kind of like historical <laughs> epiphanies I had in, in relation <laughs> to this. But just like, like the fact that I teach lots of periods of history and I've just never even really particularly thought about comments. And then I was like looking at textbooks that we use and it's just like you talk about monasteries and men but like you never mm. mention like women and it's like hang on a minute like yeah and the more I've like looked into it I'm just like wow like it's so erased as a kind of cultural and societal thing that was happening like all the time to huge populations of women and it's just like oh well they just went to the convent and they 
lived there forever and that's the end of the story but then, and like what an interesting intersection of women too right like you've got mm-hmm. prostitutes widows rich daughters you know just a whole gamut of people literally cloistered together yeah i just it's just kind of sad that we don't have like more information or like voices from them in the in the same way we do about other more secular areas of which men are the dominant voice hence why we have all of those stories but not from from here because essentially they weren't really allowed to to write anything secular everything had to be really kind of mainly religious what they you know like if they were writing things down which then colors like what they what they say i guess but that doesn't mean that we don't have stories from them but we will save those probably for episode two of Voices from <laughs> the great, yeah. yeah perfect perfect yeah this is a good segue because we're talking about like stories so i feel like people should close their eyes and imagine what <laughs> it might be like but yeah can you talk about like what the day in the life of a nun would be like in the 18th century yeah i mean like i mean i don't think the the timetable in many ways has changed probably from since you know almost in england at least like the 6th century ad so um i mean there are different orders of catholicism and different convents would have been de- dedicated to different saints and orders which would have slightly different rules so for example carmelite nuns were supposedly much stricter than hieronymite nuns but in portrait that sophie says that eloise is a benedictine nun so this is the current day in the life of a benedictine nun which fun fact i would like to interject <laughs> are also the nuns in the sound of music oh there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> So the Benedictine nuns who are in this convent that's in England, they get up at 5 a.m. and they pray and read. Too early. (laughs) (laughs) And then they eat breakfast. And then at 6 a.m. they read a mixture of psalms and scriptures. And at 7.15 they go to morning prayer, which is sung. And then they begin their work for the day, which is just kind of either writing or reading or doing various bits of housework within the convent. So, yeah, from 7.15 till 12, they're doing that. And then at 12, there is another midday prayer, which is sung. At 12.30, they have lunch communally in the in the kind of convent refectory. And after the lunch, they carry on with their writing or hobbies or gardening or whatever. Thoughts. <laughs> I'm very curious about these hobbies, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. we can revisit that later. <laughs> and then four o'clock is some tea, apparently. <laughs> At least in Britain, anyway. Tea time, uh, <laughs> afternoon tea. And then five o'clock, they have vespers, which are also sung. And six forty-five, they have their supper, which is the main meal of the day. And then after that, the whole convent is meant to basically enter a form of silence even though it's been relatively silent for the majority of the day so far anyway (laughs) but they're meant to be able to pray or read without any disruptions at all Mm. and then at 8 15 there's the final night prayer which is also sung and then you officially after that song ends is the great silence which has to be maintained where nobody speaks or makes any noise until they wake up again at 5am the next morning and you have to go to bed at 11pm. Well, that's when all the lights will turn off. So it's pretty strictly regimented, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah. It sounds really pleasant, though. Like, I would love to just yeah. have scheduled uh, reading times throughout the day. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's quite like meditative, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. But I guess, yeah, you can kind of see how it could be kind of a bit peaceful, maybe. But mm-hmm. like if you've been forced in there yeah yeah it's really strict isn't it it's just like this happens here and yeah you can't even speak for like most of the time yeah and if you do there are punishments you know i also probably wouldn't want to read religious stuff all day so i know i was gonna say as well yeah (laughs) just sneak in some comics Yeah. yeah were the nuns involved in the the service you know like making the food and the upkeep did they kind of have shifts for that or yeah so i mean so it's interesting one of the kind of things which i thought was interesting to think about because eloise says doesn't she at some point that equality is a pleasant feeling right but actually there were quite strict hierarchies within the convent as we've said there's a huge range of women within the convents and the elite mm women that were in there of which Eloise would have been one of them right mm-hmm. um were not equal to the lay women who I see. were in there so although they weren't allowed to have like titles of distinction within like the 
cloisters, which I guess is kind of like a form of equality that maybe is different to in the in the secular world. You still have the choir nuns, which are the wealthy and noble ones who do most mm. of the administration and the like writing type stuff. And then the servant nuns, which are from the rural or lower class families. So, yeah, the servant nuns were doing most of the cleaning, washing, cooking. They would even wash the choir sisters, apparently, the, the, the more wealthier ones. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Yeah, so, like they were still basically <laughs> acting as servants to the to the other ones, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Wait, but they would wash them. You know, like yeah. when you go to like a, a spa <laughs> yeah, and you get like a scrub. Yeah. Getting scrubbed by a nun. I don't know. <laughs> but they even had different clothing. So, for example, like the servant nuns wore white veils, whereas the mm. choir sisters wore black veils. So okay, so there's mm. like there is hierarchy, like visual hierarchy, even though. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it was actually only in the 1960s that the Vatican amalgamated the two groups. So oh. until the 1960s, that distinction between upper and lower classes has wow. been maintained. Wow. So, yeah. But in terms of hierarchy as well, like another thing to like bear in mind is that the rules that are put in place in the convent, even though you've got these choir nuns, which are the ones slightly higher in the in the hierarchy, they are still subordinate to all of the rules of the male superiors in the church because mm-hmm. in the Catholic church, you can't have female priests, right? Or bishops, et cetera. And ultimately the Pope is the is the highest authority. So even within these female spaces, everything is still kind of ultimately dictated by the men. And they would often have bishops come in to do uh, you know inspections and this kind of stuff and and yeah again kind of like witness punishments they would often be there to enforce various rules remove nuns or, or discipline nuns that had, had done things out of turn or whatever and mm. were the ones who like accepted their professions of the solemn vows as well so it's still oh, very much like the power is concentrated in the in the male members of the church if that makes sense yeah um, yeah so yeah yeah boo <laughs> i mean it's whatever <laughs> Yeah. But what other things? Are, I mean, yeah, like the ultimately the convent would be relatively quiet most of the time. You'd have the sound of the bells when the prayers were going to start. Then you'd have the singing. And, you know, you have various accounts of people in the secular society hearing the nuns. And, and that was also considered a little bit like a source of tension as well, because the singing was, you know, tempting and people tried to you know, like break into the convent and all this. So then they end up building the walls of the convents like oh higher gosh. and higher and higher um, <laughs> and literally put bars on the windows and everything like a prison so that people, yeah, Klausura nuns are never allowed out from the moment they set foot oh, wow. through, through the convent door. Wow, wow. And yeah. So they are, let's say someone ends up there when she's 15 or 16. She's there until indefinitely. How much space? Like her, so her entire world is like within these walls. How big are we? T- like, what is this area-ish? Of the convent? Well, I mean, I, I guess, it, I mean, it'll convent, probably yeah. differ. You mean like her private sleeping? Well, yeah. No, I mean, no. I mean, like the, yeah. The, so the she's entire like convent. Okay. The the whole, yeah. The campus. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it depends on whether you're like in a countryside convent or a city convent and it'd be like less space, wouldn't they? I mean, they generally they have like some gardens of some sort where they're often also growing things and like vegetables and stuff but you've probably got like a chapel an eating area a dormitory and some gardens and maybe that's and a library and maybe that's it yeah wow chapel itself and also within the chapel itself often the chapel was a chapel that was open to the public right like as in the chapel of the convent is also open to the public so the nuns are not even allowed right in the chapel oh, really? Yeah. they have to be kept behind a, an iron grill <laughs> literally yeah and yeah. yeah like aren't allowed to like interact with the with, oh with my the people below and all this kind of stuff and in terms of like they call them cells as well like the their own little sleeping area mm-hmm. is called a cell um and it's yeah pretty small it basically just has a bed a crucifix an altar like a small little altar kneeling stool thing to pray on and a chest and the uh-huh. the cells would be inspected for other items and things being wow. taken away Contraband. from them if they had smuggled in paper 
you know any other forms of objects you know even like anything from uh, from their families as well you know like little trinkets and stuff would be taken yeah. away wow you know sometimes it might be uh. given clothes or icons or something particularly the the wealthier nuns might might get a couple more objects but really like the you know the purpose is to renounce all right worldly goods and mm -hmm. the work that you do whether it's like yeah this silence or the activities that you're doing during the day are to avoid idleness and gossip and right. vain thoughts and all that and so that your thoughts with the silence are reserved for god alone um, and that's why they maintain silence all day and again i think it's really yeah. interesting because when we again in in portrait we see that eloise doesn't talk that much right yeah and like yeah that's actually that's probably like the reality of her life that she is just kind of like quite used to not saying much mm. and the only things that she mm. is allowed to say have a kind of premise to them yeah because she's kind of spoken a bit more and then like as the film goes on and they talk more don't they like you like she loosens up a bit and does kind of yeah yeah, yeah have a bit yeah. of a laugh and whatever and i don't know like I, I we have to remember these are human beings right like i just don't yeah. I, I, I ultimately don't think that people will just be silent all the time you know like it's impossible to kind of do that isn't it you know it doesn't, yeah. you know, just because they yeah. were told to be silent they were always silent all the time she's also like always looking for a book too that's true yeah. Yeah. familiar <laughs> well I, th I think she's probably particularly interested in whatever books from the outside world that's yeah. True. yeah 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 marianne has because yeah yeah anyway, again oh another thing is they had to cut their hair short as well because yeah. supposedly brushing your hair was vain right um, right like, <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah short hair hmm Oh, well, speaking of appearances, so in Portrait, Sophie says she only wears her convent clothes. And that's that was interesting to me because I'd seen the Benedictines in the black, right? They're also mm. known as like the black monks. and But maybe that was, a, was that like a later clothing choice? Because she was wearing, she did have a cloak of sorts, but it was blue and... Yeah, I, I did think her, her outfit was not particularly convent-y. Yeah. Nunny, yeah. N nunny. <laughs> maybe it's just what um, she went to the convent in... And yeah, and again, yeah. she was obviously one of the wealthier choir nuns, isn't she? Right. So, like, maybe she was allowed to have the blue cloak as like yeah. one of the things that she was allowed. Yeah, that makes but sense. She's obviously not wearing the habit anymore, is she? But seems like that was the kind of first thing to <laughs> yeah. go out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Do we want to talk about the Protestant Reformation? <laughs> <laughs> Just a Real natural seg into that. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I just thought this was quite an interesting question in terms of chronology, because in portrait, we're in the 18th century, aren't we? And the Protestant Reformation is happening in the 16th century. So the Reformation has happened by that point. Mm -hmm. Whilst Catholic women were being forced into convents quite a lot of the time, particularly by their families, when the Protestant Reformation starts to happen, the Protestants are arguing that being in a convent is preventing women from fulfilling their roles as a wife and a mother. Whoa, so interesting. The Protestants are trying to force women out of the convents. And actually you have then this strange situation of women not wanting to leave the convents and then convents being closed down. So it kind of works both ways. So we've got Catholics trying to put women into convents against their will, whilst Protestants are trying to force women out of the convents against their will. And Martin Luther himself, like the father of the Reformation, actually ended up marrying an ex-nun who escaped <laughs> from the nunnery with eight other nuns. Scandal. So wow. yeah, like the yeah. So they were they were shut down around the Reformation. Is that what you're saying? And then did they in some areas reopen yeah. at some? Okay. I, I think there was a backlash, right? Yeah, exactly. You have the Counter-Reformation and then, you know, after lots of turmoil, lots of states allow Catholics to maintain certain monasteries or convents mm -hmm. and like laws are relaxed a little bit and that, and, and that kind of thing. But it takes like a very long time to gain a kind of like equilibrium on that issue. So essentially the Catholic convents just continue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What about, so like then we've got Eloise's period in the convent and then shortly afterwards the French Revolution, right? Did anything mm -hmm. happen with the convents at that point? Essentially, there are just like periods where people start to turn against religion or organized religion or the power of the Pope and this kind of stuff mm -hmm. gets questioned. And so then places like convents and monasteries are targeted as areas where the Pope has influence, right? Like over people or over young people as well. Mm -hmm. So like we were saying during the colonial era, like it's a way to indoctrinate people, isn't it? And so like if Protestant leaning countries or formal Protestant, you know, state countries were not wanting that influence, then they would ideally want those convents and monasteries to be 
shut down essentially and that causes lots of social problems as well because basically you know if the convents are closed down then those women have to be married or they're condemned to a life of poverty because there is nothing that an unmarried woman can do right and many of them would have been in middle age therefore wouldn't have been kind of you know on the marriage market let's say and so it causes yeah like huge social problems for women in that sense and a lot of the wealthy members of society as well don't want the convents to shut down because they don't want their daughters to be forced to marry men of a lesser status because they like you know not enough men of their status available to marry so you end up having these kind of like petitions of wealthy families wanting to try and maintain what they saw as kind of a prestigious way of life within the convent for their daughters again we're not quite sure necessarily what the daughters thought about this but like it's a kind of like yeah interesting phenomenon and then we end up in the in the late 17th early 18th century of a woman called Mary Astle and she starts to argue that women should be allowed to have the right to an unmarried communal life of women whether it's religious or not and that's when you start to get the first kind of starts of female boarding schools essentially where women only women would be allowed to be the teachers and so it's kind of like a convent model really yeah Yeah. but secularized Um, (laughs) semi-secularized and yeah yeah, although interesting because i think that yeah it's like semi-secularized but has kind of a bit less influence perhaps from like male bishops and, and and things because women are becoming the headmistresses and, and and that kind of stuff so but that's just for school-aged women then like what happens after they matriculate out that they become teachers i guess and then they, oh great just <laughs> so just back stay the there. Yeah. okay great that could be a whole nother episode it's like <laughs> yeah lesbians in boarding school <laughs> i mean Okay, actually, speaking of status and stuff, people with status would put their daughters into these convents. And you you sort of mentioned briefly that they weren't allowed out. Mm -hmm. Is that like at all, not even to go to like a market or something? But then also the follow up question is, did they play any roles outside of the convent, like in public life? Or did they have any power in the society? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the short answer to the question of are they allowed out of the convent is no, literally, it is essentially a prison. They go into the convent, they're never allowed out. They literally get married to Jesus um, with a song called Come Thou Bride of Christ is is sung. Mm. Yeah, maybe we can play it. <laughs> okay. This is not KSMR. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is whatever the opposite is yeah. of KSMR. Mm. But yeah, I mean, like, essentially, the families leave and the door closes and it literally never opens again because usually, even when they die, they get buried within the cloister of the convent. Wow. Okay, so obviously Eloise has been removed. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Are there other instances in history that you can site where people have gotten out of the convent yeah because it also seems like sort of a storage unit for your daughter in case <laughs> yeah, you need like an extra unit. marriable marriageable like yeah female I mean, in your life so in theory they're not allowed a little bit like we said in terms of like in theory you're not allowed a divorce but the pope can allow right, an annulment right. okay so then do you sing the bride of christ song backwards like as you <laughs> backwards, walk, walk yeah. backwards <laughs> now i'm not the bride Satanic. of christ yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's just basically a really difficult legal procedure to kind of like revoke the vows that they've had to give because uh-huh. they are like solemn vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. And they're, yeah. you know, not going to be chased anymore if they're going to be married. Right. And so like, yeah, it's like a really difficult legal process that the families have to deal with to be able to to do that. But it does sometimes happen. There are also another form of none, particularly I, I imagine that when women went into the convent at kind of like younger ages, like in their teenage slash early 20s, where they have like what's called like a tertiary status, where they don't take the complete solemn vows. They take some of them so that it's a bit easier to revoke them. So I wonder whether perhaps Eloise is maybe, I mean, I don't know. She's meant to be 28. I don't know. Maybe she's, you know, kind of getting a bit older for for that to be the case. Right, because like, so if you go in when you're younger, you could take like, the mini vows right and then like yeah. you start to become more marriageable 
And then it's like, yeah. hey, you should probably, you know. Finish your vows. Yeah. <laughs> Christ should put a ring on it and you should. But, but, <laughs> it's also for a lot of it is to do with like the as an economic strategy of the family. So, for example, if the if the sister got married but then died like in childbirth, for example, or any kind of epidemic disease, then to stop the money going to a different family because the 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 man might remarry you just swap the sister in yeah oh and that God. happened a lot it's a different type of storage yeah. unit right yeah it's just <laughs> i mean it was considered like a way to keep the children if there were children to again kind of yeah right. like have them being brought up within the same family kind of thing as well <sighs> but yeah ultimately it's again it's kind of an economic thing to stop the money being funneled to another family um because if you remarried then yeah you get other money from the other dowry of the other family whereas yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how popular putting another sister in would really have been because right. the, the man, if he remarried, would get the marriage dowry of the other new wife, right? Right, 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 right. Well, and that feels like something familiar from the Bible as well, where, like, if your brother dies, you... Oh, what is it? It's like... Dig deep, Laurel. I know. Well, this something that kind of, like... It's stuck with me, you know, from religious school, where... You're a guy, you're married, you die in battle, then your brother, like, inherits your wife or something. Mm. It's very sort of... Yeah, it's, yeah, It's weird. I don't know. Mm. Gross. Gross. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it is really interesting, though. Like, you said at the beginning, like, you know, are there differences between monks and nuns? Because monks were allowed out. Like, so, you know, you have examples of monks going to taverns, for example, and monks right. going to yeah. the market and selling things like beer and whatever that they've made within the monastery. But the women weren't allowed to, to do that because they were considered, you know, that it would make them impure in various ways. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, secular women had to have a chaperone at all times anyway. So like, right, right, how right. is a nun going to go out and just right. be around? Yeah. You know? All of this ultimately just still comes down to the issue of controlling women's bodies. Like that's yes. literally what the issue is. We buried that lead. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the TLDR. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And essentially the idea being that if they're kept inside and they're kept never allowed out of the convent that they wouldn't ever sin either. Right. Right. Yeah. Of course. Wouldn't, wouldn't do any sinful yeah. behavior, which, you know, perhaps apart from certain things which we <laughs> may infer happened in, in, in the comment. But um, even those certain things kind of didn't count to some people. Well, it's like, oh, yeah. that's just gals being pals, you know, like, no, right. really. Yeah, but, like, also to them, did it technically count? Because it mm. still maintained their chastity? Right, right. Oh. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, Let's keep yeah. talking around this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, okay, but did they have anything to do with public life outside the convent at all? Like, did they have any power in society? Yeah, so although they can't go out of the convent, there was an area called the parlour, which was an area where, by appointment, people could meet with a nun. Now, this is usually only happening with, again, the kind of more wealthy distinguished families. You know, they might meet with their sister or their mother, for example, but also with uh politicians you know like families that are involved in ruling the town so they're still behind a grill they're not allowed to touch or it's really like prison yeah yeah yeah, yeah literally it's like like a meeting area in a prison you know but there, there are accounts of like music and dancing and like things kind cool. of happening in the parlor they're a little bit more light-hearted perhaps wow. but they're not like the family aren't allowed into the cloisters and the nuns aren't allowed into the like parlor area with the where the secular people are but yeah so as the daughters of elites many people kind of like wanted their advice so they kind of act like sometimes oh. as political advisors yeah i don't know maybe you think yeah like they're religious they're you know got all this quiet time to think about kind of you know perhaps not just religious stuff but like the kind of political machinations of like how things could be organized in like different ways i love it so they're kind of like the mckinsey of the town it's like they're consultants yeah like a consultant <laughs> yeah. kind of yeah kind um, of <laughs> but they're, they're kind of praying for the protection of the city and this kind of stuff and the families you know like so i guess again the parlor is an area where people from the secular world can come and say can you like intervene on this issue? And so therefore they are kind of somehow intervening and advising on issues because they're being told the issues to like, yeah, yeah kind of like intervene on, on a 
praying level but like also they can obviously talk about it as well and suggest ways to overcome various different issues interesting but you've also got examples of like nuns like pushing boundaries against monks trying to take away power from them so there's like a really interesting story in munich in 1662 where some nuns secretly organized to bring back the relics of santa dorotea to their church because they think that that's going to bring more visitors and mm. therefore they can kind of gain more influence in public life huh. wow if you've got more tourists or more like people thinking that that convent's like an important convent especially compared to like we said like these other orders of convents you're kind of competing with them as well in some cities you know like if you have various orders but the bishop refused to allow the nuns to do this what a and dick. took it away and, and the monks then do the procession of the, what? Of the relics and take the take Whoa. the hey. take the relics away and the nuns <laughs> have to remain minute. locked in the behind the grills and and all of that so that example is quite interesting because it shows how the nuns were trying to exert influence over various events but as soon as it starts to become something that is public like we want to do this procession of the relics into our church. It's like, well, you're not doing that. The monks are going to do it and the bishops are going to do it. Like you're uh, not allowed to have that public wow. representative type role. And so they want to, they want to try and have a public role and they don't like it when it's being curtailed from them. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was such a good try. Like I thought that was a really good strategy on their part. Oh, well. But again, I think it's quite interesting because like we said, like at the beginning, again, it's kind of seems like, oh, these women are kept away and they are in most ways but they are also playing a kind of role as well like a different role but yeah so to wrap up part one one of the things that eloise points out is that so marianne says oh tomorrow you'll be free eloise says okay i'll i'm gonna go to mass and marianne says to receive communion and Eloise sort of laughs at the point which I thought was really cute but she says no she'll go to mass to hear music and like earlier she also or is it later uh oh she also <laughs> mentions that there's like it's a life that has advantages there's a library you can sing you can hear music so could you tell us a little bit more about all these sort of extracurriculars or the entertainment <laughs> that happened in these places because yeah. that seems to be sort of like the main Thing that Eloise enjoyed about that life. We know in the parlor there's some dancing and stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like we said, like there are ways in which women are being women, right? Like that, you know, they're going to have friends and, and stuff and, you know, have a laugh and a joke as well. It's not all just like serious all the time, even though it does often seem like that. And in some orders, it may have been like that. So, for example, there are some orders that did ban music. So n- not all convents. Was it the Carmelites? Those probably the Carmelites, jerks. yeah. <laughs> but one of the reasons is because they were worried about the influence of male teachers coming into the convents to teach young girls how to play instruments, for example. And also, as I mentioned before, the idea of like nuns learning to sing well was then considered in a kind of sexualized way as well. Oh, right. <laughs> God. Which, yeah, I mean, this is also probably where quite a lot of the idea of like the idea of a convent has been quite sexualized, hasn't it? Like in general, just because it's like a place full of women. It's like, oh, well, what (laughs) could possibly be going on there? But yeah, so I mean, in most of the convents, there would have been quite a lot of singing going on. Like we saw with the Benedictines, you know, they are singing what, like five times a day, sounds of bells, um, various instruments and things that they could learn to play, like the organ, violin, viola, horn, trombone, flute and guitar. And that's that's hmm. a Dominican order in Florence. The trombone. Did you say the trombone? Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's in Florence, probably in about the 18th century, though. Dominican order. And sometimes they would pay musicians from the secular world to come in and do performances as well. Oh. Even though, again, the nuns would have had to stay behind the grills and all of this. Oh, God. <laughs> right. But, like, there were special feast days in which there might be performances uh, specifically for the nuns. And aside from music and singing... They also did quite a lot of theatre. So the nuns themselves would act, either acting out kind of like religious stories and stuff, but also some slightly more secularised things. But it was considered a little bit controversial and a bit transgressive in some periods because the women obviously have to play the male characters as well, right? And yeah, like, I think it's quite interesting. uh, More research needs to be done on that kind of theatre stuff because I don't think, again, we don't really think of like nuns as like kind of putting on a play, you know, like it's not not really like what we're imagining is going on in the convent. But we have like examples of nuns who had written plays that were playwrights themselves. But the nuns 
by playing different characters were also given a little bit of a chance I guess to play or given have an experience of the world outside was like you know yeah. which they otherwise kind of wouldn't do and i also find it really interesting that one of the common themes for these theater plays is judith and holofernes which i think i mentioned the very very first one you know yeah like those famous paintings by artemisia gentileschi where judith cuts off holofernes head uh-huh. and all this and i'm just like <laughs> that's so interesting to me that like that's a really common theme yeah. common plays <laughs> of like women cutting off like the head of like kings <laughs> yeah and then later on, again, so we're talking more like 18th and into 19th century now, like convents start to become schools, like I said. And so you have nuns that are also teachers, although some convents just became completely secular. And the, like we said, the kind of the girls end up becoming teachers and that kind of creates the boarding school system. But they did sometimes have convents where there were nuns still in the convent, but they would go to the school to teach the children, but the children weren't nuns themselves if that makes sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so the convent next door so they would be teaching history geography maths literature all of this kind of stuff and that I guess kind of starts to open up the types of education that the women can learn about and the books they can read and all that kind of stuff so it's not always the books that they have in the library as well they're not just always religious books I mean obviously that's the majority of the library but there are yeah like books on history and and all that kind of stuff as well yeah I don't know, I just find it, I find it really interesting, like, thinking about the end of Portrait, where, like, you know, Eloise is in the in the theatre watching this music, and it's like, it's, you know, if she was in a convent church and was participating in music, like, from the other side, do you think that she would be crying and mourning the life that she might have had on the other side of the grill, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of like both. Would she have ever known? I mean... Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's just, like, mourning the life that she did have. Because yeah, of, yeah, yeah. But but would right. you do you also mourn the life that you wish you had, if the situation was different? You know. Yeah. So right. yeah, yeah. So that that's a, a grand overview <laughs> of life. And if anyone wants to find out more, like one of the really useful books on this is called Nuns: A History of Convent Life by Sylvia Evangelisti, which I've been laughing at because the front cover is literally <laughs> like the page 28 like finger on the book yeah. that is literally a close-up of what this cover of that book is when did that come out what's the copy um, copyright it is what the publication from 2007 yeah. okay mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. and we will link to that in the show yeah. notes yeah and you've also got dennis diderot's novel the nun which is quite a depressing read really and really cool. quite complicated but, but he's but it's a french it's french and from the 18th century oh. so it's kind of like the closest mm, kind of time oh, all right okay everyone's like ordering right now uh, yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah I, I wouldn't really necessarily recommend it it's quite long and slow but, but no it's, it's a short book sorry but like it's quite yeah it's like, there's no chapters and stuff it's just like one long oh of, wow okay a bit like an so a less than half-hearted recommendation <laughs> but it's a bit complicated as well because it's like a man writing right yeah and, right. and then you find out that he wrote it as like a joke for his friend what about what? how bad it was to be a nun and like i don't know it's just all a bit like Ugh. odd but there there are some goings on in the story if someone uh, wants to just summarize it for us it'd be great yeah well, it's, it's, it's basically she's she's a nun that doesn't want to go to the convent. Um, and so you see that okay. story of like, mm. I was forced mm. to go there. And then she finds out why her family sent her there. And then she's kind of like abused. But and... he made all this up or did he? Yeah. Do... Well, she, he made it up, but it's meant to be kind of based on. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Reality. Very half-hearted okay. recommendation yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of things that people... <laughs> 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 It's okay. good to know it's, out it's an overall quite sad book, is what I'm saying, because it's okay. not a very happy right. story. But... All right. <laughs> That's um, great. Okay, do we want to hint at what could be coming up in part two? Yeah, we didn't mention when we started, but there, this is a part one of part two, maybe maybe more, depending. I mean, I think we're going to ask... People, feel free to send yeah. in questions about... I mean, you seem to have lots of questions about convent life, so please do tell me what more you want to know about convent. Yeah, like in part two, we've got this question from Christina who asks, were all nuns just being sapphic with each other in convents? So we'll be talking about whether it was really the sort of like, quote unquote, world without men or, you know, we've already talked about how men still hold a lot of the power here in this female space, but... Was it a sort of lesbian utopia? 
find out in, in our next episode about nuns. We'll also talk about rebellious nuns and then maybe hear from some real voices from the convent. I don't know what that's going to look like. Are we going to bring them in? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Skype no. them in from the 18th century. Great. Yeah. Wrong to read that word. Laura is going to speak in their voice, but in like a Muppet voice. Perfect. Before we wrap up, we've been trying out this new segment where we share, you know, basically like what we are watching, reading, consuming, listening to in the sapphic or queer stratosphere. And so we're going to ask you, Laura, if you have any recommendations. Yeah, well, I mean, aside from all this convents. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, my portrait 2021 is the cartoon series She-Ra, which every oh, single person oh, who's yay. listening to this definitely needs to watch nice. if you haven't already seen. Yes. I mean, as a cartoon, I felt like I wouldn't have so much historical things to say, but it sparked <laughs> a lot of other things in my head about things like colonialism and yeah. um, childhood trauma, identity, all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm sure we'll probably talk about that at some point, but That's great. highly, great highly recommended. And season five is completely worth it. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. For a cartoon as well. Like, I just, I find it incredible that kids are watching stuff like this now. Like, it's just, it's so good. Cartoons are so gay mm-hmm. now. So queer. <laughs> but, like, but, like, how when we were young, that wasn't the case. No. And how... well, it's all subtext. Yeah. But, like, it's nice that it's not like a heteronormative world. Yeah. It? Yeah. It's just like yeah. normalized. It's so and it's, that makes such a difference, I think. Like, I think we could do a whole episode on that and we should bring you back to talk <gasps> about it. That's a great idea. Yeah. 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 Great. We'll have you back for that too. Our resident historian <laughs> is back yeah. to talk about cartoons. cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> resident historian Perfect. is here for any historical inquiries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, isn't the, the showrunner for that is Noelle Stevenson, right? And she did. Yeah. Yeah. Or they started out in comics and that's when I started following them. And then to hear that they were redoing She Ra was just mind blowing. It's so great. I watched all of it in four days, which is mental. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And now it's time for this week's Gay SMR. Laura, what are we listening to this week? Well, we are going to listen to the sound of a quill on paper, reminiscent <laughs> of nuns in their convents during perhaps the silent hours of the day, noting down their thoughts about women in the convent cloisters. And yeah, enjoy. <laughs> enjoy. But before you enjoy... <laughs> I know, that's what we always, <laughs> we always do this. Yeah, do, you have any, do you have any questions for the next show? Or do you have your own GSMR sounds that you want to share with us or recommend? Let us know. You can email us at sapphiccultureclub at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at sapphiccultureclub and Twitter at sapphicpodcast. Thank you, Laura, for joining us. Oh my us. gosh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been so great. Always appreciate it. Always leave this feeling way more intelligent than I came mm-hmm. into it. Well, I'm, like I said, I'm... I'm love doing all this kind of it's nice that the research is going to people that want to find out about it you know my, my poor students just get told about these random <laughs> things that I find out most of the time so uh, uh yeah but do get in touch at lab historical on twitter if you've got any further questions or send them to you guys of course anything historical i'm more than happy to find out about and and chat about so yeah that's what the resident historian's for i guess <laughs> <laughs> excellent we will see you for part two And now you can enjoy. (laughs) Now you can enjoy some GSMR.